0: Danny Masterson, Roseanne Barr, Louis C.K., Harvey Weinstein, Gina Carano, Paula Dean. What do all these people have in common, other than being members of the entertainment industry? They have all, for, for one reason or another, been swept away in today's cancel culture movement. These were all people who used to be extremely popular, the, the sorts that everybody wanted to be associated with, wanted to be associated with their brand, but that's not the case anymore. <laughs> Due to something that they said, something that they did, all of these people almost overnight, went from love to loathed. They all became pretty wildly unpopular, in fact. They lost their, their Netflix contracts, had their characters killed off of TV shows, had their advertisers pull out their endorsements from them. They used to sit as the guests of honor on all those late-night shows. Now they are the butts of the jokes on those late-night shows. Everybody who used to wish to, to, to be associated with those names now wants to distance themselves they they want to completely dissociate themselves with those people and why because they don't want to bring shame down upon themselves through contact with them i wonder sometimes though if, if if sort of similar circumstances have turned us into apologetic maybe even ashamed Christians at times, because Jesus used to be pretty popular in our culture, but that's not so much the case anymore. It used to be that everybody wanted to associate with the name of Jesus, but that's really taken a hard left turn in the last half century or so as our culture has shifted away from Christianity and even away from belief in God in general. Many of the claims that Jesus made simply do not mesh with today's worldview, Stories of, of angels and, and miracles, they, they don't seem to jibe with our modern understanding of, of the natural laws in and, and the physical universe. Many of the things that Jesus taught are seen as downright offensive to a, a great majority of people in 21st century American culture. And that's why there are many Christians even who can become a little bit shy when it comes to their endorsement of Jesus. They'd rather maybe that people didn't know about their faith unless it's somebody who already shares the same faith in Jesus that they do. You don't want to create tension or, or cause rifts in your friendships, so, so you just kind of keep quiet about it. Or maybe you're fine with people knowing that you're a Christian, but, but then when it comes to certain things that Jesus taught about what God loves and what God hates, about matters of heaven and hell or some of those other hot-button issues, you kind of back off on your endorsement a little bit. Like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but but don't worry, I don't believe that part of it. Jesus has become, at least the, the real Jesus of the Bible, has become unpopular in our society. And as a result, there are a lot who, who want to dissociate, at least in public, with him, right? Like, Jesus is your friend, but, but you're embarrassed to be, to be seen with him. You love hanging out in private, but, but you're not necessarily going to invite him to a friend with your work, pals, right? Well, today, in our lesson, we are going to, to realize a couple of things. Um, first of all, that the only Reasons we have to be shy, embarrassed, apologetic in our proclamation of Jesus are the ones that Satan hands to us. Rather, we in fact have have every reason to be unapologetically bold in that endorsement and proclamation of our Savior. So today we are going to be learning from uh, the Old Testament book of Isaiah starting at the first verse of chapter 12. In that day, and we already have to pause here, well, in what day. It's important that we understand the context of all of this. Isaiah, you see, was uh, an important prophet that God sent to the Old Testament people of Israel. Um, and and he, he came to them with kind of a double-edged message. It was a message of destruction and deliverance. He was a prophet of sin and of grace. God sent Isaiah to tell the people that they were going to receive a a time of serious discipline from God's hands as a result of their rebellion, of turning their backs on the Lord. And yet God also wanted Isaiah to assure them that their story was not one that would end in destruction and death, but in deliverance and a new life with God. The day would come when one of King David's descendants would arise from that sawed off stump of Israel. And when that day came, he would rally to himself not only the children of Israel, but people from all nations. And together they would become a brand new people and a brand new kingdom. Isaiah then is pointing ahead to that time, that time when the Messiah would finally, finally arrive. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now that picture of drawing water up from a well is not one that that maybe resonates super well with most of us nowadays, right? We kinda take water for granted in our world, turn a knob, it comes out of a a faucet, right? But in an arid climate like that of ancient Israel, life revolved around wells. Unless you were fortunate enough to be situated next to a reliable year-round stream, you needed a well, to have a life. Well, here in verse three, God says, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And just to emphasize the meaning of the Hebrew words here, this is a well which saves you. It is a well which rescues your life. The imagery here paints the picture of people who had been dying of thirst, but are now rejoicing. And why? Because they have found what they need to live. Of course, Isaiah isn't speaking here about water for bodies. He's talking about water for souls. You see, each and every one of us is born with a deep thirst for God inside of us. Human beings were created to be in the presence of God and to be filled with joy in his presence. Just as your body was made to to thrive on water, your soul was made to thrive with God. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed God's presence and that fullness of their souls in a way that you and I have not yet experienced. They were with God, and God was with them. But then sin entered into the picture and into our lives. Sin takes us away from Eden and away from, ferret and, and, and away from paradise. Sin leaves us out in the wilderness, separated from God, separated from his presence. And that means that sin also separates your soul, your spirit, from what it needs so badly to survive and to thrive. All of this then leaves us with a deep, deep thirst inside of us. I remember when I was younger, uh, reading a story in the Reader's Digest about a group of people who were set adrift on a life raft after their boat capsized. For days and days, they awaited rescue. But as they waited and waited, under the hot sun, their thirst grew and grew and grew. One of the men on that raft eventually uh, became severely disoriented in his thinking due to dehydration. Logically, he understood that drinking seawater would only make matters worse. But his thirst was so, so terrible. Eventually, he gave in. He drank. And it drove him absolutely mad. Eventually, ultimately, he... Just went swimming away from the raft, thinking that he saw land or a ship off in the, in the horizon and nobody ever heard from him again. And that's exactly what we do on a spiritual level. We have this deep thirst inside of us, but we go looking to quench that thirst in all of the wrong places. Maybe you thought that, that romance and love would be the answer, like in all of those Disney movies of old. Or maybe you thought that listening to your inner voice, chasing down your dreams would do the trick, like in all the newer Disney movies. <laughs> Maybe you thought that if you could just wrestle down that comfortable job, that that comfortable life, that, that you would have that that sense of, of satisfaction and and, and and lasting fulfillment that we all long for. And that's just a, a couple of examples, right? Where do you look? Are you looking to quench that inner thirst from worldly waters with achievements, family? careers with something maybe that you you desperately want, but, but haven't quite gotten your hands on yet? If those are the places where you are looking to satisfy your soul's thirst, you're drinking salt water. They might look appealing, but in the end, they will only leave you thirstier than ever before. We settle for these small temporary satisfactions when what we really need is God. We were made, so to speak, to run on him, and so he is the only one who will satisfy us in the way that we need. We need to be filled with him. Only then do we find true and lasting joy. The question is, where? Where do we find him? Where do we find this one that we lost at Eden's exit? Well, today we find him in Jerusalem. Some seven, eight hundred years after Isaiah, a man named Jesus stood among the crowds of people during the Festival of Tabernacles, one of Israel's great religious gatherings of the year. And he saw himself surrounded by all of these people who were looking to satisfy their soul's thirst in all the wrong places, just like we so often do. They were people who thought that they were spiritually set simply because they were descendants of Abraham or because they tried really, really hard to submit to that law that God gave to Moses. Well, there in front of those crowds in the temple, Jesus raised his voice and proclaimed, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Family, romance, careers, these are all, don't get me wrong, these are all wonderful blessings of God. But if they are where you are looking to satisfy that inner thirst of your soul, You're looking in a dry well. Here's our first key point today. The only water that satisfies your soul's thirst is Jesus. And why? It's because he's the only one who does, the only one who can bring us back into that presence of God. Just as Isaiah prophesied, God's anger against you for your sin has now turned away from you because Jesus invited that wrath upon himself. As he thirsted on his cross, he received no relief, no help, no respite of any kind from his heavenly father. There he suffered the unimaginable thirst of hell so that you and I could again drink in that living water of God. Jesus left paradise to suffer under our sin so that we would be raised up from that sin and restored to Eden. Isaiah prophesied this time of of comfort for thirsting people, and that time of comfort has now been brought to us by the hands of Jesus. He restores us to the Father's side. That long thirst of sin is finally and fully quenched through him as he brings us to those waters of salvation and draws water up from them and and, and feeds that water to us. And it means that we now have the promise of new life here on this earth as well as forever in heaven with our God. But that promise isn't just for you and me. And if Bethany is going to fulfill its vision, if we are going to fulfill our purpose as the church, we must understand this. Because if I know something this beautiful, this life-changing, it's straight-up selfish to keep it to myself. I have to share it. And that's where Isaiah brings us in our final verses today. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Notice here that the verb forms have largely changed to imperatives, right? God has a command for people who drink in this water of salvation. Verse 5, sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. I want you to imagine for yourself that, that you're in a hot desert and you haven't had a drink in days. But you're not the only one there. No, surrounding you, there are thousands of other people, all of them suffering the same terrible thirst that you are. Now, this is a little bit of a strange desert because the landscape here is dotted with hundreds, even thousands of wells. Most of those wells, though, are bone dry. Some of them are filled with salt water or with foul, stagnant water that will only make you sicker if you drink it. And out there, you see all of these people who are are making the same mistake that you so often made by looking to those wells for what they need. And as you're looking out there, seeing them, that's when you find it. That one well among all the wells that has cold, clean, refreshing water inside it. And so, of course, you you drink in deeply deeply you feel the life return to your exhausted body. But then, as you look out at all of these people who are dying of their thirst, what other decent thing can you do but share with them what you have found? Do you think you would be like embarrassed to do that? To come to somebody and say, hey, I found the well that you need to live. Do you think you would be, like, apologetic to to bring a glass of that water to somebody? Like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't mean to tell you what to do, but if you drink this, it'll save your life. No, of course not. You would proclaim that boldly and loudly to them. And why? Because you have what they need and you know it. So why can we become so shy then sometimes when it comes to Jesus, Why can we become embarrassed, even apologetic, when it comes to sharing Him with people? If we truly believe that He is the living water that every soul needs, then what's holding us back? It's because we're afraid, isn't it? We're afraid of how people are going to respond. Because as we we said earlier, as we looked at earlier, that that Jesus of the Bible, the the real historical only Jesus, he is not a popular guy in our culture. Many people look at that Jesus the same way they would look at somebody like O.J. Simpson or Harvey Weinstein. And that means that some people, many people, will throw that water of life right back in your face. I don't want it. But you know what? Some won't. Some will drink. Some will follow you back to that that well of salvation and, and draw from it right alongside you. And for those people, do you realize what you've done? You have made an eternity's worth of difference. By bringing them Jesus, you have brought them life. Our job as the church, our job as a congregation, isn't to make anybody drink. We don't force Jesus down people's throats. But it is our job, your job, to hand them a full glass, to make known to them what a difference Jesus makes because he has made all the difference for you. That brings us to our other key point today. Oops, there's my desert picture. Forgot to show it to you. Our other key point today, people who know Jesus share Jesus. We have drunk deeply from those wells of salvation. Now we proclaim to the nations what our Lord has done. And in the weeks, months, years ahead, We're going to consider how best to do this as a congregation. After all, it's one of the main reasons why we are here. Bethany exists to share Jesus, to bring more and more people to those wells, to that well of living water. Now I'm not going to share with you today my roadmap full of my own personal ideas for how I think we're going to accomplish that. It's simply my prayer that each and every one of us would leave here today considering how we might do this as a body of believers, as Bethany congregation. But do you know how all of this actually works best, all this sharing stuff? It's when you, individual you, take Jesus with you out into your own little personal sphere of life. Because Bethany Church can't very well share Jesus with your coworker over a lunch break. But you can. Bethany can't stand in your backyard fence talking to your neighbor who's going through some really tough stuff in life right now. But do you know who can? You can. Again, it's not my goal here to tell you how and when and and, 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 and all that stuff. We all have different gifts and opportunities available to us. So I'm not going to give you some five point plan. Just use them though. Use your gifts, your opportunities your resources, your connections. Use whatever it is that you have available to you to bring this living water of God to the souls that so desperately need him. You know, Jesus, you have been refreshed and enlivened for eternity with the water from that well of salvation. Now go out and share Jesus. Amen.